Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. So how did Jesus do it? How, how does Jesus do it? How, how does Jesus restore our dominion, our rulership? How does he restore our, our distinction? How does he take fallen, rebellious, fighting, stubborn, dirty, diseased enemies and objects of wrath? How does he take a bunch of murderers and adulterers and gossips, right? How, how does he take us and, and restore us? And here's the, here's the gravity of it. And, and this is what I want you to think about for a second. It, it, now, now we all, we all fail, right? We all struggle. We all fall. When we do, and, and, and because we have, and we have a very real enemy, Satan, the devil, right? he wants to remind us of all those failures, right? Amen. Anybody else ever live there, be there, camp out, have a tent? You know, like, hey, that's my spot at the RV park right there. That's the one for me, and, and, and that's me. And so we have this enemy that's very real. He always reminds us of who we are. So if you want to know the, 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 the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you, what you need to think about is, is the worst sin you've ever committed. So, so who is it that the enemy tells you you are? Now, now, now hear the truth of it. That is not who you are. That is who you were. Who you are now in Christ is new, set free, born again, raised up, seated with Jesus, you know, son, daughter, heir, all that good stuff. That's who you are. But who you were, you still need to think about if you want to understand what Christ has done for you. So if you can imagine the worst sin that you've ever committed, and the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so you've got this image, this image that Satan always puts forward to you, like, like, Listen, I'm dirty, I'm diseased, I'm, I, I, I'm foul, that's who I am. So you have, this is who I am. Yes, that is who you are. So how does God take somebody like you, that is an enemy of God, that is an object of God's wrath, how does He take somebody that is a God-hater and change His heart and make Him a God-lover and, and somebody that wants to live for Jesus? How does God restore somebody like that? See, because we said Jesus is a better restorer last week, so how does it happen? Here's how it happens. That's our lesson today. And here's the lesson. It happens because Jesus is a better pioneer. Because Jesus is a better pioneer. This is how we are restored. This is how Jesus takes somebody like us and makes us royalty. He does it by becoming our pioneer. By becoming our pioneer. I, I want to look at verse 10. It's on the screen. And uh, and we're just going to sit here for a second. We're going to leave this up. Uh, I'm going to talk about a couple phrases in this verse. But I want you to see the whole verse the whole time. It says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Two phrases I want to point out. One has much to do with our lesson. One is just good knowledge. Let's talk about the good knowledge first. That phrase... Uh, uh, that, that would make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's talking about Jesus. And when it says make Jesus perfect, it freaks some people out. 
Because they say, wait a second, hold on, wait a second. How do you make Jesus perfect? He's already perfect. So how did how did you make Jesus perfect? Well, listen, this isn't talking about Christ's character, and it's not talking about his morality. He he is perfect. That is who he is. He is the sinless Son of God, right? Or else it wouldn't make sense that he would die for our sins, that we could be forgiven. So so he's perfect. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about his role as Savior. His role as Savior was made perfect through suffering and by suffering. And I want to explain it to you this way. Now, listen, if all Jesus had done was die for you, that wouldn't have been enough. If all Jesus did was die for you, that wouldn't be enough, right? If it was just his death, it wouldn't be enough. Many people die. We all die, don't we? Everybody dies. Many people died upon a cross. Those men weren't saviors. So that wouldn't have been enough. Now, Jesus had just come and lived a perfect life, but not died on the cross and not suffered the pain and the agony and not suffered the wrath of God. Uh, That wouldn't have been enough. Jesus could have lived a perfect life, died at the ripe old age of 98, laying on a bed somewhere, you know. I mean, he could have done that, but guess what? We wouldn't be saved. He would have been perfect, but we wouldn't have been saved. So if Jesus had had died without being perfect, it wouldn't have counted. If Jesus had lived perfect, but not, not died a suffering, painful, agonizing wrath of God, facing death as a substitution for our sin payment, it wouldn't have worked either. You had to have both. So Jesus became the perfect Savior by coming to this earth living the perfect life and then dying a substitutionary death and facing and taking the wrath of God upon himself in our place. And that's how he became our perfect savior. And so that, listen, that, that's not, now listen, that's not the message. That's just no extra charge. You just need to know when you read that passage, somebody says, what does it mean that Jesus became perfect? He wasn't perfect. Yes, he's always been perfect. He became our perfect savior by, by taking that suffering upon himself. Okay. So, so here's the phrase I want you to focus in on this morning. Author of their salvation. Author of their salvation. Now that word in, in, in author in Greek, it literally means author, right? Uh, it, it also means leader or it means pioneer. Pioneer. And, and the cool thing, no matter what the word means, it always refers to someone uh, that involves others in their endeavor, right? An author writes so that others can read and learn. A leader leads so that others can follow. And a pioneer blazes a trail because there is no trail. A pioneer makes a way because there is not a way. It's what a pioneer does. And this is what Jesus has done for us. This is the heart of it. And so this morning, three observations for you about how Jesus has done this for us. How Jesus has made a way. Uh, and, it, and it starts here uh, with uh, becoming one of us. Let's see. Jesus went through suffering, fear, isolation and death in advance of us. Jesus went through suffering, fear, isolation and death in advance of us. This is what a pioneer does, right? They blaze a trail. What trail has Jesus blazed? Well, it's called life. It's what he did. He did it before you. He did it before you. He did all of it. Jesus became one of us. So how does restoration happen? How can we who, who are great sinners, be, be, be made royalty, be restored to royalty. How does that happen? Well, restoration begins with incarnation. That's how it happens, right? And so I just want you to write this down. In order to restore us, Jesus had to become one of us. In order to restore us, Jesus had to become one of us. If you don't believe me, uh, let's look at John chapter 1 together. Let's turn there this morning. John chapter 1, we're going to read a good little chunk of it uh, John chapter 1, we'll read 1 through 14 together this morning. Uh, It says this, it says, In the beginning was the Word, 
And, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God, and He was with God in, in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Uh, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Uh, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. Now, he himself wasn't the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus, who is fully God, became man. He became man. Jesus, who was fully God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, Philippians 2, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and served us to the point of death. For 33 years, Jesus experienced all of life. Jesus uh, knew hunger. He knew isolation. He knew disappointment. He, he knew what it was to be hated, to be homeless, what it was like to have and to have not. He knew loss. He knew love. Ladies, he knew what it was like not to be listened to. That's the problem of all husbands, isn't it? Just me. Just me. It's those Q-tips, they don't go in far enough. And you know what? Jesus experienced fear. There's some... There's some people out there that don't want you to think Jesus was ever afraid. They think that fear in and of itself is sin. Because God says time and time again, do not be afraid for I am with you. It's all over. And so they said, well, see, sin, uh, fear must be a sin. Therefore, you know, Jesus could never sin. He's sinless. Well, guess what? Jesus is sinless. But Jesus is fully God and fully man. And fear is part of the human condition. Now, it's what you do with fear that can be sin. You see, fear is something that we experience when we're faced with circumstances that are overwhelming and it's a natural human response. Your blood starts pumping in a really fast way and Jesus was fully human, so this happened. In the Garden of Gethsemane, friends, he's overwhelmed to the point of death and his circulatory system is starting to shut down on him. He is sweating drops of blood. That's a medical condition. But it's what he does with that fear that makes him savior and not sinner. He faces it. He turns to God. He prays. And he gets up, he gets up and he goes, hey, Judas, how are you? Come and greet me with a kiss. I know what God has called. For this hour, I came. For this very reason, I came. All right. That's huge. Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 4.15. Uh, it says, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And what that means, friends, is this. It means that Jesus can perfectly identify with us. Jesus can perfectly identify with us. He is our pioneer. He has gone before us in life, in suffering, in fear, in isolation, in death. It means that Jesus has been there, experienced that in advance of us. So that really just kind of leaves us a question, doesn't it? If Jesus has been there and he has done that and he has felt isolation, he's felt all those things, why don't we turn to him more often? We'll get to that in a little bit. 
So the first thing you need to know, Jesus is a, a better pioneer because he, he, he became one of us. He's been there and done that. Number two, not only that, you need to know that it was through his suffering that Jesus made the way for our restoration. How are we, we, we restored? How does that happen? Well, well, first, restoration begins with incarnation. Jesus becomes man. The second thing that happens is Jesus uh, takes our place. He takes, he takes our place. That's what a pioneer does. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Here we are in life and we're lost, right? Here we are in life and, and we are dying. Here we are in life and we are separated from God. Here we are in life and we are so far gone and so far stuck in the mud and the mire that we don't even know what to do about it. We have exchanged the truth of God for lives of man, right? We, we, we started um, worshiping the created things rather than the creator who is worthy of all praise. This is where we are. And we're so far gone that some people have actually started to believe that this place that we find ourselves in now is actually their home. And so they're building their home here and they're storing up their treasures here. And it's those people, you know, Jesus is speaking, no, don't store up your treasures here where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven, right? And, and so, so this is what's going on. So some people, man, they, they, they're, they're so far gone, this is their home. We've got others that they realize that something is missing, that this can't be their home, but they don't know what to do about it. And they're almost standing on the banks of the river crying out, God, surely there's got to be something more, but they don't know what to do with it. And then there's that group of people that, that they, they understand that this isn't their home. They know that they've been swept away from that great place that they were meant to be, but they've decided that they've got to do something about it, that it's their job to some, some way find their way back home. And so they start trying to build some kind of strategy for holiness uh, that they can earn God's approval. And they spend their life working and working and working for God's approval, trying to make their way back to God. And they're frustrated and they're tired and they're burnt out. And you know what? They're judgmental because nobody else is working as hard as they are. Does that sound familiar? You follow one of those camps, right? And it's into this life. It's in the midst of this that Jesus comes as our, our big brother, as our pioneer. And he says, listen, you're stuck here. But if you want... I'm strong enough that I can take you back home. Climb aboard, hop on my back. I'll give you a ride. I can get you home. That's what Jesus has come to do. And he does that. He, he did that by taking our place, by suffering in our place, by, by taking our punishment upon himself. I want to look back in Hebrews here at, at, at verse 11. I want you to kind of see this, this thought of, of Christ as our big brother and our sufferer. He's come to suffer for us because we are his brothers. Look in Hebrews 2.11. It says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Now, now that, that quote there in verse 12, guys, that's from Psalm 22. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm 22, and we're going to look at verse 22. In Psalm 22, verse 22, and I just want you to see where this quote comes from, because it's pretty, it's a pretty big deal. Now, this is a Psalm of David. And, and David, it's crazy. David is, is crying out to God, and David is crying out to God for a Savior. And as David cries out a prayer to God, God actually answers David's prayers in his own request. You follow that? 
Okay, David is crying out to a Savior. He's crying out to God. God, being God, is actually going, Hey, David, the stuff you're saying is actually answering your, your prayer, by the way. I'm just going to show this to you. It's huge. It's really cool. Psalm 22, verse 22. It says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will I will praise you. Now, that's that's what we just read out of Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 12. Now, you could think that just ties in with the royalty thing from last week. We are co-heirs with Christ. And we're, we're brothers with Jesus, right? Now, you think, okay, well, that, but there's more to it because this 22nd Psalm is rich. And so as David is crying out for a savior and, and God is literally taking the words of David and saying, yeah, buddy, I'm going to give you exactly what you're asking for. Look at, look at verse 16 and 17 of, of uh, Psalm 22. It says, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. This is Jesus, friends. This is what Jesus has come to do. How does Jesus restore us? By by becoming one of us and then taking our place in suffering for us. You don't believe me? Look at the beginning of the prayer of David here. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what Christ cries from the cross. God is answering David's prayer and the answer is Jesus. He says, here's the answer. You want a Savior? Look to the cross. You want a Savior? He will speak these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to be restored. The only way you get restoration is if somebody takes your place on the cross. That's it. That's it. We find restoration because Jesus became one of us and then he took our punishment upon himself. He felt that separation. He felt that isolation for our sake. This is Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. You think about that peace that you have in Jesus. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. How does Jesus restore us? He becomes one of us. He takes our place and in doing so, he makes the way in himself. He himself becomes the way. This is why Jesus says, John 14, I'm the way, the truth and life. John 14, 6, and no one comes to the father except by me. He made himself the way by suffering for us. All right. Number three. Number three. How are we restored? Okay? He becomes one of us. He takes our place. Number three, he makes us fit for the journey. Becomes one of us, takes our place, makes us us fit. He identifies with us. He makes that way in himself. But he also prepares us. He perfects us. Psalm 24 says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's the standard of God. And that standard doesn't change. So I want you to follow me. So Jesus makes the way in himself. In himself, in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, he paves the way. Okay? But it's not just enough that he makes the way. Then he has to make you. He makes the way, but he has to make you. Why? Because of the destination. That's God, by the way. It's not heaven. It's not streets of gold. The goal of the gospel is God. It's to restore your broken fellowship with God. That's the whole point. So how do you get God? You be perfect and holy. That's it. Friends, I I hate to tell you, Oprah's wrong. There is no other answer, right? I know I just crushed your daytime TV hopes, right? I'm sorry. That's not the answer. Listen, listen, Joel's got a great accent, but it's not just enough to do the the happiest, most loving thing. That ain't going to cut it. you got to be holy. 
perfect, blameless, set apart. That's how you stand before God. That's a problem for me. It's it's a problem for you, too. You may not know it. But it's a problem for me and it's a problem for you. Because if that's the standard, we're all in trouble. And so Jesus does the unthinkable. Not only does he become the way, then he he turns around and he prepares us for that way. So so he prepares the way and he prepares us. That's what's going on. Uh, Verse 11, back in Hebrews 2 again, it it says, uh, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy. This is what we're talking about. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Uh, I want you to see this with me. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. I want you to see this. This is huge. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's not just enough that Jesus makes the way. He has to make you as well. He has to make you holy as he is holy or else you cannot see God. You cannot see God. So he does the unthinkable. He makes us new completely. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I want to turn there real quick. Uh, This just may be one of those that you should underline. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why Jesus is better. He becomes one of us. He takes our punishment upon himself, thus preparing the way. And then get it, he goes even a step further and he prepares us for the way. He makes us holy, he makes us righteous so that we can stand before God. Not on our account, but on his. That's huge. Jesus is a better pioneer. So what do we do with that? We, we start understanding that the depth meaning of the gospel and all that Christ has done. What do we do with that? I'll give you a few things. Again, my prayers for you this week. Uh, application, you might want to call it. Here we go. Number one, uh, I would challenge you to turn to Jesus with your troubles. Right? Turn to Jesus with your troubles. Why? Because he's a pioneer. Because he's been there. Because he can perfectly identify with what you're going through. Here, here's the lie of the enemy, right? I, I, you, you guys know that Satan's a deceiver, right? He's a liar. That's what, that's what God calls him. He's a liar and a thief. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's John 10, 10. Okay? And so, so Satan, from the very beginning, back in Genesis, he's always about isolation. So he wants to isolate you and make you think that, that nobody else can understand what you're going through. Nobody else knows what it's like to have have kids like your kids. Nobody else knows what it's like to be married to the person you're married to. Nobody else knows what it's like to hide uh, or, or to experience the sin that you're going through. Nobody else knows how to deal with it. You are alone. You're a sorry sack of trash and you're alone. And that's what the enemy speaks. But the truth of God is God never leaves you or forsakes you. The truth of God is that you're not a sorry sack of trash. You may have been. But in Christ, you're forgiven, redeemed, set free. You're an overcomer. You're you're a privileged one. You've been raised up, brought near, seated with Jesus. Right? You're now royalty. That's who you are. Okay? And and so so what do we do? When we start feeling that way, and some of you in this room, this is your constant struggle. I know you guys. I love you. But a regular struggle for you is that you always go back to that sin that you had committed a long time ago. And you let it identify you. Like, that's who I am. No, 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 no. That's who you were. This is who you are. 
You're holy, righteous, blameless. That's who you are. So when we're isolated by the enemy, what do we do? We take those troubles, we take those feelings, we take those thoughts, and we turn them over to Jesus because guess what? He's already experienced them. (laughs) Do you see the, the depth power of that? Friends, we don't have some kind of theological savior. We, we don't just have some, some, some thought of a savior. We actually have a savior that has been there, that has felt that, that knows what you're going through. There's not a thing in life that you can go through that Jesus doesn't understand. So turn to him with your troubles. Turn to him with your troubles, number one. Number two, uh, I want to encourage you, please let your brother carry you home. Let your brother carry you home. That doesn't make sense for you, so I'll explain it. Uh, in his book, The Grip of Grace, Max Licato tells a parable in the first couple chapters that is so powerful to this day, it still sticks with me. And the story goes that uh, there was a father that had uh, several children, and, and, uh, and, and, and his, his house was just amazing, and, and, and right outside the house ran this great and mighty rushing river. And the father said, you, you've got access to everything here, but I want to tell you, please stay away from that, that, that river, okay? Stay away from that river. It, it, it could kill you. The, the current is so strong, it'll just sweep you away. It'll just sweep you away. And, and, and of course, the brothers, they had such a great life, and they enjoyed life so much, and they were always together. But slowly and surely, they found themselves playing closer and closer to the river because they couldn't get away from the sound of the rushing and gushing waters. And, and when they got closer, they could see kind of the white water. And, and it began to, you know, they began to think, oh, man, that looks really cool. And then they began to question, well, well surely it's not going to kill us. I mean, I mean, look at it. It's just water. That couldn't kill us. And so kind of began to maybe stick a finger in them, and pretty soon, Somebody's taking off their shoes and they're kind of putting a foot in and then they put their ankles in and before you know it, they're being swept away. The other brothers, of course, are trying to hold on and trying to save them and they were all swept away. And the the power of the current was so great that it swept them down this great mighty river that had twists and turns and went everywhere. And finally, it dumped them out on the shore of a foreign land. They had no clue where they were and they had no way to get back. Now, at first, when they found themselves in that foreign land, uh, they, 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 they huddled together every day around a fire and they talked about their father's place. Talked about how great life was. They talked about all their memories. But day after day after day, eventually their memories began to fade. And pretty soon they couldn't remember their father's house. They couldn't even remember their father's voice. So one of them suddenly the next day didn't show back up around the campfire. They went searching for him. They found him off over the hill. He had settled in some flatlands with the people of the land. He decided to build a house and a home and to get married and to make a life there because he had assumed he'd never, ever, ever make it back to his father's house. There's another one there that he just he he, he was overcome and, and he said, I, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to earn my way back. And so he began to grab every big stone he could and lay it in the river. And he was determined to build a bridge all the way back up that mighty rushing river. Only every day the current of the river would destroy his work. But he was determined. Now, he was so bitter and frustrated and burnt out that, that he was angry at everybody else. There was another brother that sat on the hill, and he just recorded everything that his other brothers did wrong. He thought, one day, I'll have to give an account to God for all this. To my father, I'll have to let him know all that has happened. But then there was one brother, just that faithful brother, that just sat there just waiting, just wondering how it would happen. The way that it happened was eventually their big brother. He was so much bigger, so much stronger than they were. He made a way. 
He blazed the trail and he found them and he located them and he made them an offer. He said, I know that you're not strong enough to wade up through this current. I know that you don't know the way home, but I want to tell you that I do. And all you have to do is hop on my back and I will carry you home. Unfortunately, one was already settled and had a life. The other was too busy recording everything that the other brothers were doing wrong. Who would ever look after him? One was too busy trying to build his way up. And so there was just one that jumped on his brother's back and got to go home. Let me ask you, in that little parable, who are you? Some of you here, you're still, though you, you, we preach the grace of God over and over and over, you are still trying to earn your way. Still trying, you, you, you've done wrong and you're still trying to somehow balance the scales. You can't. You need to turn to Jesus You need to jump on his back and you need to let him carry you home. That's what you need to do. Some of you think that it's your job to make everybody else righteous and holy and keep an account. I promise you there's an account being kept and God doesn't need you to do it. Some of you, you're building your wealth and your family and everything is about the here and the now. I'm telling you, it's so much better in your father's place. But if you get too comfortable in the here and the now, you're never going to accept the invitation back home. Let your brother carry you home. This morning, that's our invitation to you. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never heard about that invitation, I'm I'm going to make that invitation to you in a little bit. I want you to listen to it. I want you to hear it, okay? Number three, I want you to get fit. Now, why does Jesus come? Not only does he make the way, then he gets us fit for the journey, right? He makes us holy. But here's the, the truth about God's word. There's always truth, and then there's an admonishment, right? It's like, it's like, hey, here's the truth. In Christ, you're holy. And you know what the word of God says? Then it says, so be holy. That's the deal. So, so listen, in Jesus, you're righteous. So be righteous. Choose not to settle, right? Be holy as I'm holy. That's, that's God's word. And so I, I would just encourage you, Christ has made you fit, so be fit. Be fit for the journey. Think of this life the way we said this last week. This life is training ground for the next. This is not your home. This is not the final destination. Not yet. Not till Jesus comes and restores the whole thing. Okay? Then. Then and only then. So get fit. Number four. And I uh, I have failed you the last several weeks. This should be here every single week. If Jesus is all these things. If he is all these things, then how can we be silent? How can we not share the truth of all that God is and all that God's word reveals him to be? Share Jesus. We've got cards up front. We've got them out back at the exits. Um, Those cards are meant so that you can take them and invite somebody to church and to share Christ with them to say, listen, Jesus is better. He is better. He is better. We have the answer. We need to share that answer if we believe that the answer really is all that the answer is. All right, let's go out and let's share Jesus. Let's do it with all that we have, with all that we are. Would you guys pray with me? Father, 